The following is not intended for younger audiences. The Fui recommends that you do not listen if you are under the age of 18. The opinions expressed do not reflect the views of the podcaster's employers or the Fui or any officials from Tomania. Anyhow, here's Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. And we got lots of fun and exciting things to talk about today, but first I must ask, as always, Dude Two, how are you? I'm fine. I'm actually pretty good. I... A few days ago, we're recording this March 29th, 2021. Uh, this episode's going to be out April. But just to give you perspective, I just received my second dose of the Moderna COVID-19 vaccine. Woo! And that's pretty exciting. Uh, dose 2, you know, I I knew... it Like, dose 1, I almost had, like, an energy boost. It was very strange. Dose 2, I definitely felt more of the side effects i had chills um you know i it was somewhat of a headache aches it kicked your butt a little bit it did uh but that was that was basically for a day like like the, on like the day after i i didn't feel that great but uh now i feel pretty great my arms just slightly sore like it, it's, it's almost as if i i didn't just get a like a major shot but it, it, that part's pretty exciting um, what else have I been doing? Oh, I was <laughs> just more in the realm of just fun stuff. I purchased for myself uh, the Spy Kids movies, the first three Spy Kids films. <laughs> yeah, you were telling me about that. <laughs> you l- listen. It's not even just like like not nothing against the Spy Kids because I love the first one, and I haven't seen the second one in a long time, but I remember really liking it. But you have this sort of un like filtered love like this this sort of like intense love i feel like for spy kids 3d would you like to explain that a little bit it's listen yeah so (laughs) all right the first two i saw the first two i saw in theaters and i liked and i liked both of them i didn't see the third one in theaters what but it was also as a child it was the only spy kids i owned on dvd ironically enough you you didn't see it in theaters? No, I did not. I am so shocked. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I finally I finally That's so wild. <laughs> I watched it, you know, and I had a good time as a kid. And then when you grow up, you're just like, Man, this this is so bad. But it was like a so bad in a like, oh my gosh, this is hysterical. Like Elijah Wood, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, is the guy. Like he's like he the, is the guy. It's like yes. <laughs> and Sylvester Stallone, Sylvester Stallone, who is King Shark right now, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, this is so goofy and amusing. And I'm like, yes. But ha- did did you see Sylvester Stallone's full range come out in this film? He plays a villain called the Toy Maker. <laughs> 
and his like little advisors, like one of them is like a Sylvester Stallone like hippie. Another one is like a version of Napoleon or some like soldier. And then there's like another like another guy. And it's it's so wild. George Clooney is the president. And then when everybody like start like like Ricardo Montalban is in a virtual world in this insane robot suit chasing butterflies <laughs> and sounding like he, he's in like a Shakespearean masterpiece. It is an incredible 84 <laughs> minutes. I highly recommend it if you want to have fun. <laughs> and, you know, on top of that, George Clooney does, for a, for a brief second, his own impression of Sylvester Stallone. I won't explain why, so you have to watch the movie, but he does. And I always forget, uh, for you uh, Disney Channel fans, Selena Gomez is in Spy Kids 3D, if I remember correctly. I think you're right. I think you are right. Because she's like an informant or whatever, or like a client of of uh, of Junie's. Isn't that his name, Junie? Yeah, Junie. <laughs> yeah, Car- yeah, I always forget his name. Jo- Carmen and Junie Cortez. I remember. Okay, got it. I'm up on my Spy Kids game. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude, it's just, the- these movies are wild. And you're D- Danny Trejo's there. Antonio Antonio Banderas. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you know what I always loved about the Spy Kids movies and just like Robert Rodriguez's kids movies in general is that the only reason he makes those the only reason he makes those kids movies is for his actual children. Like like he doesn't he doesn't actually make like all of his other movies he makes for, like for himself or like for audiences but like the kids movies i think one of the kids i forget which one but i think there was a kid or even all of them really but i think one of his kids movies or all of them were essentially like him asking his kids what would make good movies and then him making those movies oh wow like he literally made movies for his kids like how, that's that that is the coolest dad like robert rodriguez cool dad mode right there yeah, and actually what's also, with Robert Rodriguez, too, like, when I took TV productions in high school, a lot of the stuff that we learned was through, like, watching Robert Rodriguez, like, movies. So we watched watched stuff about, you know, about El, Mar- El Mariachi and Spy Kids movies, and it just showed you, like, ways to make movies more economically. Well, he is, he is, uh, he is the one-man crew. Yeah, he is, um, which... We'll get to that uh, actually with this episode, but it, it, it was interesting too because usually, like a lot of times, when I whenever I've taken like a film class, you usually study people who are like you know, like Federico Fellini. You study like the new the new Hollywood people or like you know the classical Hollywood, and it's just like I think Robert Rodriguez is an interesting like case study. He really is, all, yeah. You know, learning about film, you know, especially if you want to make your own um, movies, but. Beyond the joys of Spy Kids, how are you? Well, um, you know, I just, because I, I like puns, um, one of my favorite uh, things to do uh, periodically, um, you are you are on dose two, right? For your vaccine? We'll go. Oh, yeah, dose two, yes. Yeah, I am dose one, Richard. You are dose two, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is I, I, got my, I got my first dose recently. Oh, yeah. Of the Pfizer, I got the Pfizer vaccine. I got that on Saturday, and it, yeah, there was this definite slight pain in my arm, and so I've just been like moving my arm around a lot, drinking fluids. But I feel pretty good. 
Though today I did have a unfortunate mishap because I went out to get the mail and um, the mail lady uh, had one more piece of mail to give me and you know she came up to me. Thankfully it was outside and it was very brief, but you know I didn't have my mask on because I didn't think I needed it because I was going outside to get the mail by myself. And then she came up to me without her mask on, so I had a full-on panic attack. And even though I got my first dose, it's I'm still very much susceptible. So, while it could have been a lot worse, it was still very scary. And I, like, froze in terror. And then I tried to call my mom, like, 11 times just so I can talk to someone, and she didn't answer. So, <laughs> so I just got frustrated at that point. But she eventually answered, so... And I love you, Mom, by the way. But, no, that... That just warped my whole day, honestly. Because there was other things I was doing today. Like, um, I watched uh, to, for the just to get prepared for the for this episode. I watched a couple of movies. I watched some of the bonus features for one of our movies. Um, recently, I got because um, a while ago uh, when we were talking about my neighbor Totoro, um, I started. I wanted to watch some more of Hayao Miyazaki's movies, so I finally watched. Um, I guess. Not his first movie, but one of his first movies within, like, the Studio Ghibli thing. Uh, the studio uh, was um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind, I believe it's called. But yeah, that was a very, very good movie. And I guess it's based on a manga that he made. Oh, wow. That I really want to I really want to read it now, actually. It's like the whole premise is Nausicaa is a princess... Um, and this is kind of like post-apocalyptic world where like this forest that is considered poisonous and has a bunch of these like exotic giant insects mm. sort of roaming around. Uh, she lives in uh, this, again, the Valley of the Wind. And it's the one village amongst all these other villages that seems to be able to stave off like the growth of the the poisonous forest or whatever because of the the wind from the ocean because they're just so close and they have like windmills and everything and so she she has this like special bond with animals she's almost like a disney princess in a way but like cooler right <laughs> not to knock disney princesses because disney princesses are are cool in their own right but uh um she uh like she travels with this like jet powered hang glider thing um and there's obviously uh, relevance with masks, which feels very relevant right now. Um, it's a pretty actually, it's actually like a really dope movie, and uh, like it's like they got a pretty damn good voice American voice cast when they did the redub in 2005. I would definitely recommend it, though I imagine more people have seen it than I have. So, <laughs> but if you haven't seen it, it's it's technically his first Studio Ghibli movie, but it's definitely worth watching. Um, and speaking of Disney princesses, I've also been trying to catch up more on my, uh, the signature Walt Disney Blu-rays that I got. Mm. And, um, I watched Cinderella, which I, I remember watching when I was super young and I forgot just how little focus it has on Cinderella. And it's actually like, it's about the mice. Let's be honest. It's, 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 it's Tom and Jerry. That and it just happens to, like Tom Jerry's living with Princess. That's what the movie is, and it's not. And I don't have an entire problem with that, but that's what it is. It's Tom and Jerry with a princess, and the main villain is is voiced by Madame Leota. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's totally yes, that's true. Slash Maleficent, 
Like <laughs> Eleanor, Eleanor Audley, just a great iconic voice, perfect uh, for the for all those characters. But speaking, oh yeah, animated movies. Okay, I've been trying to get through the Pixar movies. You know this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is very important. No, no, this is this is actually very important. Um, please. Uh, you, this is a grievance you have, and you must, you must release it. I'm, so I, I guess I gotta go, say this. Yes. Okay, listen. I was trying to get through the Pixar movies, right? And my big roadblock was Cars Two. A, I had never seen it, and B, I had heard extremely bad things. All right. So my, yes. so my brother Mike graciously, bravely, one might argue foolishly, volunteered to watch this movie with me. We watched, but it. we love Mike though. Shout out to Mike. Yes, yes, very much. We watched it. Oh. Boy, <laughs> listen. Like, you, do, you, do you need to lie down? No, I, I, I've, I've been lying down a lot after the vaccine. Thank you. But this movie is just—it feels like it's like they gave a huge budget to a direct-to-DVD plot. Like, uh, and it, it was—it was—it's amazing how much talent as far as the voice cast is concerned, that these movies have. Bruce Campbell is in this, Michael Caine, Emily Mortimer, you know, Eddie Izzard, like, incredible. John Turturro, who I was rooting for the whole movie to beat Lightning McQueen, <laughs> and I was very upset that Lightning McQueen didn't lose all three races in this stupid movie. And then Mater is basically the main <laughs> character, and basically has to deal with the fact that, as far as the characters in the movie call him, he's an idiot. This is not me calling him that. It's just the other characters in the movie calling him that. But man, right? Like, and also the cultural like stuff in this movie too, because there's a lot of like you know there's scenes that take place in different countries, but there's a scene where they're in Japan and Mater looks like he's like in like geisha mode, basically. And I'm like, okay, okay. all right. So Peter Pan, Peter Pan, Dumbo, like Aristocats. Some of these movies they're not on kids' profiles, which I totally get and respect. Right, Disney, because because there's cultural mm-hmm. sensitivity stuff. This is a movie made like ten years ago, that has that has Larry <laughs> the Cable Guy, Larry the Cable Guy as a car, in in like geisha mode. What is this? What is this? White people, please do better than this. <laughs> hey guys, Joe Dinny Dan, just quick interruption. Uh, some of the comments I say at this point, it's just a lot of ranting and raving over Cars Two. Listen, I just want to emphasize again, I'm glad people got paid. Um, I'm glad, you know, there are some people that have some type of joy from this, but I just don't like this movie. I just feel like I needed to condense some of that, and this is going to go on longer than what the actual comments were, but sorry about that. Anyway, back to your programming. Boop! Like, this... Ugh. Ugh. You know what? That needed to be said. It needed... It did. It, it needed it to be needed said. It needed to be said. That was awful. And the next one I got was Brave, which I hear decent things about so I, I i things are starting to look up until i trip over my face and get to good dinosaur but that's a whole other thing but you know what at least because i know you like bears which is just you know just a because there's a lot of different bear related things i know you like and brave has bears there's a lot of bear related things in brave so maybe that's a bonus maybe maybe i i, I guess i guess we'll find out but more importantly than my in- but i don't <laughs> yeah but- <laughs> But more importantly than my intense dislike of the film that is Cars 2, <laughs> I want to get to our double feature, unless you have any other grievances yes. or, or things to say. No, I just I just had the you know, few movies that I watched, and um, 
though you made me think because I finally watched Lady and the Tramp, which took me a second to get to, and it was a very good movie. But again, it's but that you know that again that's a movie from like the fifties, and so it has a very fifties mentality in in a lot of respects, and like is the weird choice of like having to like characterize the the dogs in like different races, mm-hmm. and obviously the, you know the unf- the infamous Siamese cat situation. Um, so that, you made me think of that a little bit. Yeah. Other than that, no, no, I'm, I'm good. We can, we can, we can move on. <laughs> so, so speaking of, um, uh, of things that are relating to cultural sensitivity, let's talk about a couple movies about Hitler. You, you, you guys like Hitler, right? No? Good. Cause he's terrible. He's a terrible, many have argued history's greatest monster. I mean, certainly, you know, when you, you like, you think of things that are evil outside of like the devil, you immediately think of this guy. He is just, he has shaped so much of our culture in so many ways in, in all the wor- a lot of the worst ways, obviously, um, in all of his actions, like, and his influence is still very relevant. Sadly, sadly, sadly. Um, so, yeah. so this is, uh, this is actually a, a very much still a topical episode, which I hate to, I, I, I hate that that is the case, you know, it's it's a it's an unfortunate fact. There's yeah, it, it's it just sucks. But we're to talk about two films uh, that both that both tackle that tackle Nazis and tackle Hitler. That sort of take the, they they take they definitely take the piss out of Hitler for sure. Yes, like like it's not like it's not it's like it's like let's saying let's talk about it, but let's also acknowledge that Hitler was awful. <laughs> And uh, one of well, one of the we're not talking about the producers specifically, but that movie will be mentioned because for a lot of people, the producers is very much like the 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 anti you know Hitler thing because springtime for Hitler and mm-hmm. and all that. But it will be mentioned. But our first film we're going to talk about today is 1940s the nineteen uh, forty the Charlie Chaplin film The Great Dictator. Ooh. Silent film, silent film. Oh my gosh! Oh, I got him. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, okay, this was this uh, the Great Dictator, Charlie Chaplin film. This was his first full sound film. Okay, like as far as like full dialogue, because the other films they had sound effects and musical score, and at the end of Modern Times, there and in some parts of Modern Times, there's dialogue to emphasize a point, but it's not necessarily a talking picture. In the same way that, say, okay. The Wizard of Oz is a talking picture, or King Kong is, The Great Dictator is a full is a full fledged talking film. It's a sound film. It was Chaplin's first sound film in 1940. Put in perspective, The Jazz Singer came out in 1927, and between The Jazz Singer and The Great Dictator, Chaplin made three other like silent or semi silent films, being The Circus, City Lights, and Modern Times. Those are the ones I hear about a lot. Th- those are some of his best ones, especially City Lights and Modern Times. Those are probably my two favorites. But um, Great Dictator was made, and they were making it in like the late 30s, and Hitler was very much on everyone's mind. And people did comment on the fact that Hitler and Charlie Chaplin uh, do share a mustache. Their mustaches are very similar. It's it's sort of sad in a way for Charlie Chaplin, because whenever you think of that, that, that goofy mustache, that... It's like it just feels like someone was just lazily going, yeah, yeah, you know, just shaving the sides off. 
And it's just always going to be associated with Hitler. But then you're like, but Charlie Chaplin had that kind of mustache too. <laughs> and let's uh, uh, what, here's the crazy thing too. They were born in the same week, in the same year. We are putting this episode. Are you serious? We are putting. Well, this is the reason why we're putting this episode out on the day that we are. It's coming out. This episode's coming out April sixteenth, which is Charlie Chaplin's birthday, and then four days later, Hitler was born. Five twenty. So yeah, they were born. You know, they were born like both eighteen eighty nine, I believe, and you know they, they were both. You know, both very, like, it's interesting, too. If you ever watch, like, the Great Dictator bonus features, I recommend the documentary The Tramp and the Dictator, I believe it's called. And it really kind of talks about some of their parallels and just some of the history behind the film and, of course, Hitler. But Chaplin decided to make this film in, in a way sort of just because, like, he was like, oh, Hitler Hitler stole my mustache, you know, for one. Right. That's a, that's a small piece of it. But also, too, just, like, the, the, this 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 guy we got to make fun of him like obviously one of the greatest comedic minds in film is like yeah i gotta i gotta make a comedy about this and he came up with the great dictator which there's a lot to talk about but first you got to mention chaplin's just chaplin all around we're gonna be hearing his name a lot because he wrote this movie directed this movie produced this movie wrote the musical score for this movie and of course, stars as the film's two principal characters, that being Adenoid Hinkle, which is Hitler, uh, more or less, um, and the Jewish barber. This was actually, fun fact, though probably won't surprise anyone, my first Chaplin movie, which I know you know, and I know you were very excited to some degree to show me my first, like you, like you were breaking the ice, you were taking my flower in regards to Chaplin <laughs> films, and it was—it's admittedly it was kind of weird having this one be the start off because you—if you know anything about Chaplin, you're just so used to the like silent film stuff with like the with like the derby and like the you know like the huge shoes and pants and how he walks with his cane and whatnot, like that very classic Chaplin style. So it was just sort of interesting to have this sort of be the starting off point for maybe more Chaplin. We'll see what happens. I did like this one, so <laughs> it's possible for sure. Um, but it definitely was kind of what I expected, but but it also wasn't what I expected it to be. Mm. It reminded me a lot, and I know we mentioned the producers, but it reminded me a lot of a Mel Brooks movie. Yes, and and not just its satire, but also in the way that you know it sort of relies a lot on physical comedy and how like it sort of is throwing out a lot of jokes at once you know like i think of um i think of the scene when like he's the jewish barber and he's in the the war like the whole opening sequence and he's he continuously is messing up yeah <laughs> <laughs> like he's he's trying to use the huge gun um uh it was it was really funny and i was also thinking about um like the bit when he's uh playing the you know, what's the dictator's name again? Adenoid Hinkle. Adenoid Hinkle. When uh when he's giving his like speech, which is clearly in gibberish, by the way. <laughs> um and like he's like yelling into a microphone and then the microphone would just go Like clearly like you can tell Movies like, you know, stuff that Mel Brooks did, you know, had to have seen this and was inspired by it. And it was just, it was very funny. 
I just love like this sort of like the double speak. One of my uh, that 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 scene is so funny when he is Adonai Hinkle doing one of those like speeches, and you ha- it's almost like the reverse of the angry translator from P and Key, uh, Key and Peele. It's <laughs> where it's like a very calm and he and like there's one point where he just goes on and on and on about about the Jewish people, and it's like very aggressive, very like hostile, and then the translator goes, "His Excellency just mentioned the Jewish people." <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 or just like uh, I love uh, liberty, stunk. Liberty is or something is like is odious. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's it's very much like the some like cliche like German like speech like where they're, they're like oh schnitzel cheese and krakens. <laughs> or one of my my favorites is debranada. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but also it extends to like the other characters because you have um, uh, you have you have hair, hair garbage, which is like just like the Goebbels, <laughs> and then you have uh, field Mar- you have Marshall Herring, <laughs> which, uh, if I'm not mistaken, fun fact, uh, the actor I'm just gonna look him up real. He's on my on my page real quick. He play Billy Gilbert. Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he was in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs as, like, some of the dwarfs. Oh, really? Yes. Um, he was Sneezy. Hachu to you, sir. But, and then, the, like, the, just the na- some of the names are hysterical. Obviously, like, Adoroinkle, Garbage, <laughs> Herring. Uh, and then for um, <laughs> for for the, the parody of Mussolini, they have Jack Oakey as uh, Benzino Napoloni. From the cu- from <laughs> from the country of bacteria, yes, I, that is true. <laughs> oh no this this was wild, honestly. Again, so I didn't expect so much of it to be what it was, and it it's just it's just so crazy and like. There was, there, I will say, there was definitely moments that felt like I, like, okay, I've been, I was waiting to see something like this with Chaplin. Like, again, the whole opening sequence, or um, even, like, the scene where he's the dictator and he has to go from, like, room to room. Yeah. <laughs> he's got, like, a million different appointments. So, like, he's in one room and they're making a sculpture and a painting, and then someone says, you have a phone call! And he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, like, little things like that, but... Um, it's, it, it was definitely interesting to have this sort of be the starting off point. What was your first Chaplin movie? I'm curious. This one. Was it this? This one. Mm-hmm. Was it, was it weird? Um, it, here, here's what I didn't expect. Because when you look at the cover of this movie, because you know going in that Chaplin plays the dictator and he plays the Jewish barber, who's effe- is effectively more or less the tramp character that he played for many decades and, mm-hmm. this and he is, sort of and he dresses like him at one point too. Yeah, and like he, he, this was actually sort of the last time he would play that type of character in a movie, right? Um, which he started in 1914 uh, with Kid Auto Races at Venice, um, and then history went off from there. But no, I was expecting to be more of a Prince of the Popper situation where like they switch early on, and you have like this feeble Jewish barber as the great dictator of the world and then this angry like dictator it has to become a barber in this in this Jewish ghetto <laughs> i thought that was going to be the plot but that wasn't the case and the switch off doesn't happen till basically at the last 10 minutes of the movie 
But they do have a fun setup and like the credits where it says like the fact that these two look alike is is a complete coincidence. But yeah, <laughs> like you see you see that and you're like they're gonna do something. So they almost it almost sort of preempts you to think it'll be like a Prince and the Popper situation. Like like I said, a lot, a lot of those like the palace sequences with um, Chaplin as Adenoid Hinkle, the dictator, are some of the best scenes in the whole movie. You know, those are those those are the strongest moments and you clearly see that he put a lot of effort into that character like one of the most iconic scenes in the movie and i'm sure you'll agree um is where he's playing with the balloon globe and it's like almost <laughs> like a ballet yeah you were in the bathroom when that was going on or you were doing something so i had to watch it by myself <laughs> it was sad yeah <laughs> somebody might have needed me at some point but it's a beautiful it's a great scene and it's also like the main menu of uh of like one of the discs for the, like for the great dictator um blu-ray or whatever and that that it just it just a be- beautifully encapsulates that understanding of like he he wants this he wants the world you know and it very much makes me think of like this old political cartoon with um napoleon where it's like you have like little like like britain trying to def- defend itself off and it's like the one thing in its way but you see napoleon just sitting on top of the rest of the globe basically in fact at one point chaplin did want to make a napoleon movie was he at one point yeah but obviously this happened and yeah this this, like this is good enough what else are what else are you going to say that hasn't already been said but uh, along those lines again like the way a lot of these things are treated is very is very comical you know with figures that we obviously know did horrific things for example like the um the, the 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 nazi soldiers that we see there a lot of them are played by like i believe some of them were played by keystone cops like veterans basically some of those mm-hmm. guys and they very much come off as just like goofy cops in a movie where they're they're just like there's the all the antics are just like oh they're they're throwing paint at each other throwing like tomatoes and, and things like that to where like there's a there's a scene where like hannah gets the main leading lady played by Polly goddard who gets upset when they throw tomatoes at her, but it feels weird. Like it obviously it's upsetting to get tomatoes thrown at you and, and stuff, but it felt like it, it felt like it was too serious for what, what was going on at that moment, <laughs> admittedly. And, and on top of that too, like, and also it's worth noting that, and I, I think you said this already, but this movie was made while all this stuff with Nazis were, was still going on. So there was still a lot of information they didn't have. So yeah. like juxtapose juxta, juxtapose like something like the being you know, having tomatoes thrown at you um, with what actually happens and it sort of just feels weird anyway. And there are more the, yeah I mean there are more serious things that happen like later on we see that like like shoot a guy basically and we we hear them like we hear like you know like garbage like talk about like trying to get things like mobilized for war and how like you know, the Jewish people are awful. And th- these are things that he says in the movie. So obviously they they do touch on like some of like the, the anti-Semitism of the Nazis, but it's not, it, it's not nearly what we, like what we know now. It's like, it's yeah, a horrific, exactly. horrific thing. And Chaplin even said, if he had known about the true extent of the horrors that Hitler and the Nazis committed, he never would have made this film. Yeah, and somebody like I remember I was watching a documentary about Chaplin a while ago where like one of his kids brought home their boyfriend and they made like a joke about it or something, and he pulled out pictures of like 
basically like some of the stuff that happened like seeing like all like the really gaunt bodies a- after mm. after the war and just seeing just all those people dead or like barely alive and he he took it very seriously you know so th- this wasn't this wasn't just him trying to be you know it, it was him like he wasn't fully informed but even so he's like like one of the other things too is it's making fun more of like just the excessiveness i think of fascism in a similar way that like mill brooks and the producers does where that you have all these like extravagant costumes and marching like things almost like a bubs bubs berkeley musical or whatever in that film right whereas in this it's all about like oh we got to kiss the baby we're driving off you know we're driving off and we got to greet the people and uh we're going to do all these crazy things blah, 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 you know and all that and on top of that and on top of that too if you look at the way that they portray the jewish people in the film versus the nazis like the nazis are clearly you know getting all of the animosity and and you know the the satire and you know just like the whole idea of fascism itself mm-hmm. is is clearly being lampooned whereas uh while while again still miss you know not entirely informed they still made made a point of not going too far of doing anything with jewish people in the ghetto like there's no there's not really any jokes with those characters they don't make fun of them they don't make fun they don't you know uh satirize that aspect of it no that which is, that, which is a yeah. very good approach yeah it, it means that the movie in that respect ages a bit better than what you would expect it to and on that note like it's funny too because we because like of all the older movies that we've watched during this you know during the show that we've been doing you know two dudes one double feature you should check us out uh <laughs> if you haven't on our if own you show. haven't already <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was but either way point is it was just it was kind of refreshing to, that to watch a movie from a much different time period that felt like it hasn't really aged all that well or aged or or, or no that part let me rephrase that um it just felt crazy like how most most older movies uh that i've seen felt like they've aged really poorly in some degree because of the time period like we watched king kong and you know there's a lot of misogyny and whatnot mm-hmm. um but with with this it just didn't really have that feeling of aging poorly it felt it felt fairly fresh fairly yeah and then of course like i think a big part of that is probably one of the most famous i imagine one of the most famous scenes in the movie which is that speech he has at the end Th- that speech every day it becomes like throughout the whole thing, because there's so many things that have been going on politically in this country the last forever, but especially the last four years, four, last four or five years in this country. And I think about that speech every day of my life. I don't think there's a day that goes by where I don't at least think about one or two lines fr- from that from that speech and just how radical it was that you end your your comedic movie with that. And Chaplin has a history of ending his movies with pretty like you know, pretty like, oh my gosh, emotional things, but like to end it like that. And it was pretty wild too, because the FBI always sort of had like their, their number out for Chaplin basically. Mm -hmm. And like, at one point Chaplin was basically, uh, not let into the United States and didn't come back for many, many years. So, and this speech, this speech, I believe was one of those, um, was one of those reasons, but it was also really funny too, because, I remember watching the um, 
the Robert Downey Jr. movie, Chaplin, and there's the scene where he's doing the speech, and you see people throwing tomatoes at the screen. Are you serious? Yeah. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, wow. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened because a lot of the a lot of the ideas in there, even for today, some of those ideas like are for some people are be are pretty radical. It's really it's honestly just, worth watching on its own. It's just a, such a, a, a the the words he chooses, everything, the pace of this. It's great. It's really just a great. If like if you ever do like a public speaking thing and need to like study a speech, if you younger kids need to do a project on a famous speech. Yes. Choose, choose choose this one. It's a great speech. It's a great speech, even though it's made by a fictional Jewish barber who's impersonating a dictator. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, the circumstances, you know, otherwise, it's like, still a really good speech. Context, uh, <laughs> the context of it uh, aside, you know, but it was also that's also kind of a metaphor for Chaplin in, in going from silence to sound, because for the lo- for the longest time, you know, he was the world's most famous movie star, which also meant he was the world's most famous silent film actor and he was very stubborn about like you know going into sound because for him the character of the tramp which is the the iconic character the chaplain played in a lot of his movies like a lot of his appeal would be damaged if he had like a specific accent attributed to him or specific language which is why when you watch um modern times spoiler alert he sings at the end and it's chaplain's voice but a lot of it is gibberish it's a lot of it is nonsense mm-hmm. to just try to keep the universality of that character intact. That's actually, you know what? That makes, that makes me uh, curious to, to, to hear that. Uh, when, uh, whenever I to sit down and decide to watch modern times, just to, uh, is it a good song? It, it's, it's, it's fun. I do hum it sometimes and Chaplin's very talented and he dances a little bit. It, it's, it's, it's a fun little sequence, but, and even that's another movie too, where it's, it gets pretty radical sometimes. Like there's a point where he picks up mm. a red flag and starts waving it and they think he's starting like a communist revolution or, or like communist protest oh or something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course that's going to be the takeaway. Like he just waves something like, Oh God, is he a commie? What? What's going on? Yeah. Again, having having been someone who hasn't seen a lot of Chaplin movies, I was actually very, very much enjoying this, and it definitely had a lot of aspects that uh, I wasn't expecting. Along with some, I was. But if there's one thing I, I I have to like, this is just a universal complaint for this particular genre in general. This is a long movie. It is very long. It is like, listen, pro tip for anyone making comedies: hour and a half max his best movies are like 85 87 minutes long like don't exceed 90 minutes if you if you really need it you don't even need that like at best 80 minutes or less is like perfect for a comedy i think i think this movie maybe could have like gone away with like 100 minutes i think some of like the jewish the jewish ghetto scenes again you know we appreciate that they're not like the most comedic scenes some of some of them, like when they do try to be comedic, sometimes it lands. Like I think the like the 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 pudding the pudding scene is, is amusing. It's I think it's one of the best yeah. Scenes. The pudding scene's funny. Yeah, the pudding scene's funny, but sometimes it gets a little much. Uh, but Paula Goddard, who's the leading lady in this movie, was also Chaplin's wife at the time, is is very is very good. You know, and the other people in it are really good too. It's just, it, it's like you want to get back to like when you get back to like the the um the regime of Adenoy Hinkle, you're more excited because you know, like the funny stuff is there. Mm-hmm. Like 
there's some like really just great scenes like when when he and like uh Benzino Napoloni are arguing about the treaty and they had hot mustard. So they're like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> uh, no, like that was probably I think that was the most surprising thing about the whole thing was just seeing the runtime. I was like, how long is this movie? Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a long one. It is it is a long one, but um yeah, I think I think that's my my major complaint with this is the runtime because I think a lot of his movies That would be mine too. A lot of his movies I think even if not everything contributes to the plot sometimes or like if it doesn't feel like it like moves the plot, it's at least really funny. Especially when you watch yeah. something like Modern Times or City Lights where there's a story, but a lot of sometimes they feel like weird like four acts where it's like there's like another like comedic scene you know, and then there's like another comedic scene or, or whatever. And it works, it right. works much better for those films, you know? And again, this was, I think Chaplin made better sound films really like Monsieur, Monsieur Verdu, which is a very dark comedy, um, very good movie, but also that one flopped. Uh, Limelight is also a very good one as well. So he's made some good sound movies, but you know, uh, clearly this was like, again, this was his first real foray into sound. So we actually had to get like another cinematographer, to come on set, basically, he had to get. Oh wow! It was a, it was a different kind of production, you know, because he was used to just getting the people who worked with him, basically. Like he had his own studio and he kept everybody on payroll until he was like coming up with ideas. Mm-hmm. And he had to get like Jack Oakey, who was not a Chaplin star. He he came on as you know the the Mussolini character and Henry Daniel and all these other people, you know, so. It was it and and it was also interesting too. This one is the only Chaplin film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. He's won he's won Oscars, but this is the only like time where this his movie was nominated for Best Picture, and he was nominated for Best Actor. Uh, but he he was himself was I believe was disappointed that he wasn't nominated for Director. But what are you gonna do? I mean, I think. I think that'll always be like the eternal surprise for any movie. It's like you grow up with a certain movie and you're like, oh, this, this, you know, this is one of those movies that everyone talks about as a classic. And then, um, like you hear either like, oh, people hated it when it first came out. Like the producers, you know, got very mixed reception when that came out. Whereas mm-hmm. now we look at it more fondly. Um, or like in other respects where like you hear that movie got nominated for best picture. What? Or like, mm-hmm. how did this movie, like, how did this guy not get, like, a million Oscars? You know, it's just, that'll always be surprising. Though. I don't yeah. I don't think that'll ever go away. You know, I, I get, I think part of it was, too, that for the longest time, Chaplin was very much, very much stuck in his, stuck in his ways, you know, as far as, like, because the Academy is also about, like, promoting the new stuff. And it's like, when City Lights, which is probably his best movie, came out, there weren't a lot of silent movies coming out by the, by 1931, Right. And yeah. Were they really going to nominate a silent movie? Like at that, at that, no, they weren't. That was never. That was nah. never going to happen. But I think this this movie is really. Um, I think it's an interesting movie to to look at from the perspective of Chaplin's career, as well as how we we look at you know takedowns of of famous dictators, especially Hitler, and even also just like how this movie sort of felt like a starting off point for how stories set around this time period um whether they're about hitler or they're about you know other aspects like the holocaust or anything how that sort of helped shape how stories would be told about specific things in this time period later on which we'll we'll talk about a little bit 
We will talk about it. Um, we're going to take a brief, we're going to take a brief, brief intermission and, uh, um, you know, grab some bananas. But, uh, in, you know, when we come back, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about a more recent I- I- example of, you know, Hollywood taking down uh, Hitler. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In our last segment, we talked about Charlie Chaplin and his uh, mustache and how it looks like Hitler's. And now, <laughs> for, for this new one, for this new half, the second half, we are talking about another movie that is very much satirical towards Nazis, specifically Hitler. And that is, of course, the 2019 Taika Waititi film, Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> yeah? You're staring at me. Yeah? Listen, you, you, already, you already took care of it this episode. <laughs> yeah, but just, you I, didn't get a turn, so I was, just, I was prepared. I was like, is he going to do it? Is he going to do I, it? I just wanted, I wanted you to be on the edge of your seat for a little bit. <laughs> well, it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really, really like this movie. I adore this movie quite a bit. And a lot of it is, um, again, we talked about him already, but we're going to talk about it again. Mr. Taika Waititi. This guy. Woo! Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful man. This is the third time we've talked about him, actually. Fun fact. It's it's wild. He's becoming one of our most uh, represented filmmakers on uh, our, our podcast that's that's pretty cool it's 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 very cool actually no <laughs> um, yeah, this one this one was an interesting especially like a, a follow-up to just making a Marvel movie that he decided he was gonna make uh, another he's made a lot of like coming-of-age movies like um, hunt for the wilder people this I think he made a movie called boy uh, a couple of years ago, he's made a lot of movies like this about um, a, that kind of transitioning period between you know absolute adolescence into like becoming a teenager, so like from twelve to thirteen, kind of demographic. And um, this is by far like the one, probably uh, the one of the few that he's made that sort of tiptoes on that on that razor's edge that most people don't want to walk on. 
Yeah, this one, I mean, especially for a movie in 2019, because, again, we're going to talk about the producers. Yeah. Because they're, and, and also, we're going to talk about Blazing Saddles briefly, because people are always like, man, remember the good old days? They don't they don't make these movies like they used to, <laughs> you know? And then it's like, hey, by, by that logic, Jojo Rabbit should have like a $100 million gross in the United <laughs> States, my dude. Why didn't you see this? What's wrong Why? with you? It was like... It was like those movies. Jeez. Come on. You're just crying about this, and yet here's a movie for you, and you don't even see it? Jerks. <laughs> but it's also funny to think about, too, because Disney owns this now. <laughs> Dude, I was telling you yesterday, it's in the Disney Movie Club. That's insane. Like, you can buy this movie directly from Disney. <laughs> like, what is going on? It, it is very strange. Very strange. But you know what's also weird about this movie, too? Just It's also based on a book, which I didn't realize until the Oscars. Mm-hmm. I guess I just didn't pay attention to the credits when this movie came out, because I did see this in theaters. And when I was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay, I had to do a double take on that. I was like, whoa, wh- wh- what? This is based on a book? I, I believe the book is called... Here, I'm going to look it up real quick. I'm going to look up something now. It's my turn. Because you did it in the last episode, so now it's my, my turn. turn. <laughs> that was very aggressive. I apologize. Um, no, the book is called uh, "Caging Skies" by Christine uh, uh, Lunin. L- Lunin. I-, I apologize if I'm messing up your name, but um, it was from 2008, and Taika decided to make it into a movie. I guess I- I'm not. I'm. I'm not really all that familiar with the book, um, but. If you've if you've read it, let me know what 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 it's like. I'm curious. I think from what I've heard that there's not as much of like the imaginary friend Hitler. But is there an imaginary yeah. friend that's Hitler? Um, I think briefly, if I'm not mistaken, it's like a brief thing. But it, but this movie obviously takes it and makes it into much more of a. And larger speaking supplement. of that, I think that's a good starting off point because I know I, we already sort of talked about him, but again, Taika Waititi. Um. He has this like this comedic sense that again has just become such a popular thing with us especially. And one of the best things about this movie is not only does he did he direct it and he write it and he wrote it, he also plays imaginary Hitler. <laughs> and like one of one of my favorite things when they were doing the the bo- when I was watching the bonus features um was uh when when because like they're going through all the different like key performers in the movie and the characters they play when they get to him he's like you know at one point i was i was gonna do some research on this but i thought uh, this guy doesn't deserve that <laughs> so he's like so he's like going off and like you know i was like when i was thinking about playing this role i just i was just playing like a, a much stupider version of myself <laughs> And he's like, and for some reason, when I put on that mustache and I do that the, that comb style, I just become a major asshole. <laughs> so, like, he clearly had a process, is what I'm saying. And it worked very well. Yeah. Like, he he's very good as Imaginary Hitler. And as we, like, one of the things you brought up, too, with this movie is that this is, this is from the, yeah, the perspective of a child. Our main character, our main character, Jojo Betzler. Jo- Johans- is it Johansson? He, he, everybody calls him Jojo. It's Jojo. In the credits, they even just say Jojo. Johan, whatever. You know, uh, played by Roman Griffin Griffin Davis. Um, 
he's very is very good in the movie and the way Taika it's also great it's very helpful too because you know again you know ch- child actors you got it's a very tricky thing to tricky they're very tricky to direct sometimes and it was very it was a very good decision on Taika's part to be imaginary Hitler because it's like basically oh he's working with the director right there you know it's not like there's like another layer of actor that he has mm. to has to go through for for that um and again like taika plays that part so appropriately because he acts like a child for the most part he he acts like an absolute petulant child the entire time he's just like oh man she's really rude and she's got she got the knife she got the knives <laughs> she's got all the knives now like i even love the like <laughs> just like like all the different things like even just the fact that they like acknowledge that he's an imaginary friend so like there's a point when he's eating a unicorn head <laughs> or there's a like at one point he exits a room yes. by leaping out of a window and like one of the best oh my god one of the best parts is like towards the end of the movie when jojo like sort of realizing that you know this something this thing that he was idolizing uh is actually not great at all um and so his uh his his friendship with hitler like goes off the rails and he just like drop kicks him and he just goes right through the window and breaks it like it's he just goes fuck <laughs> off hitler Bam! it was so cool um, it was the he, coolest thing but yeah going back to Ro- roman griffin da- griffin davis um he's very good um in this movie and one of the big things of this movie is obviously it's from the perspective of a child. This is a child whose mind has been warped by by Nazi propaganda and just you know Nazism as a whole. He's a Hitler youth. He goes on that like camp where they do like they do Nazi things, but mm-hmm. basically trying to train train those young boys. And it, it, it's it's actually it's like startling to watch him because it's almost almost like watching something like like Lord of the Flies where you have a child doing such like grotesque and like violent things you know there's one point in the movie where where like his one of his reactions to when his his when something happens to his mom is to stab somebody like is to is to is to stab yeah to stab someone and it's just like all these like misconceptions that he has in his mind it just uh, like i hate you it's it's very it, it 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 feels a lot like like a sort of nature versus nurture situation you know, in re- in regards to you know his affinity for the Nazi Party in the movie, because like when we first meet him, he's very much like hundred percent pro Hitler, pro Nazi. Uh, you know, he wants he wants to be. I think at one point he even says like, you know, he wants to capture a Jew so that he can be uh part of Hitler's guard or whatever. Yeah. He wants to be Hitler's best friend. <laughs> Yeah, basically. And then poor Yorkie, man. Like, I thought I was your best friend. You're my second best friend. <laughs> so unless you're Hitler stuck in a fat little boy's body, like, I guess I'm just a, a kid stuck in a fat kid's body. <laughs> just one of my favorite lines. But um, he very much has this per- perception going in, and yet as as the movie plays out and he learns about you know what his mom does uh when she's not home and and what his dad's been doing this whole time as well um even though he's constantly told that his dad is fighting with the with 
the you know with the other German soldiers um, in the war, uh, and also learning that uh, there's there's a there's an uninvited guest staying in his house, uh, uh, played by uh, Thomas and Mackenzie. Uh, Elsa is her name. Is a young Jewish girl who's been in hiding um, in his house for for quite some time, and he finds out about this. And this is sort of like the inciting incident for him to start realizing because you we learned from the very beginning that he's not violent. He's not the type of person that you would ex- like as much as he wants to be at the beginning a part of this. He's not, mm-hmm. and she, she even tells him at the end of the movie like you're not a Nazi. You're just a you're just a ten year old kid who wants to be a part of the popular kids. Yeah. Basically, I'm, par- I'm paraphrasing, but, <clears throat> you know, that's that's sort of where we come where we come at with this. And and so when we first meet him, I think that sort of helps, too, that he is sort of like this frightened, like sort of kid that sticks out as much as he wants to be a part of this. And and because like that's probably that's got to be the hardest thing to to have your main character be a Nazi and, and we have to like them. Yeah. But because of the way that he's portrayed, and of course Roman Griffin Davis's performance, it, it's not entirely hard. Yeah, it, it's definitely a case of like this is a child, and it just shows like shows kids can be so manipulated and like easily swayed. Unfortunately, um, mm-hmm. and it's a nice contrast with Sam Rockwell's character, who is is very much clearly at the end of his ropes. In like the, the he's Nazis. Done. He's done. <laughs> he's listen, done. <laughs> he, he's he's like he's just like listen. Like, uh, like I remember at one point, like one of my favorite like moments. He uh, like like um, JoJo's just like oh you know what, what would ha- what would happen if I captured a Jewish person and he's like you're still on about that what <laughs> <laughs> like you just like even just looking at you know his excessive drinking his body language. His sort of hidden relationship with his with his like side sidekick. I don't know what he like his lieutenant or whatever. Uh, Alfie, Alfie Allen's Allen, character, Alfie Allen, you may remember as Theon on Game of Thrones. Or um, you know, we talked about Alfie Allen, I believe, in the the, the Keanu Reeves episode. He's in John Wick. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he um, he like he's clearly just done Sam Rockwell, and you know. He he wants to like sort of become truer to who he actually is, and we we quickly learn as it plays out that you know while again similar to JoJo, while he might have identified as a Nazi at at some point, he basically said, "What's the point?" You know, clear, clearly we were wrong. Like I love, I actually love that scene when um the, when uh, Steve Stephen Merchant's character, you know, Halela, Halela. when steven merchant's character comes in and is like inspecting jojo's house and you know i imagine obviously this has something to do with what his mom's been doing the whole time um and uh he sees you know all the different things going on and uh you know jojo's freaking out and because he doesn't want uh them to find elsa and sam rockwell shows up and at one point um they're, uh, they they see Elsa, and she's masquerading as JoJo's sister, and so they ask her if they can see her paperwork, and Sam Rockwell sees it. Clearly, it, the picture is not her, 
clearly the information is all wrong and she's guessing everything and he accepts all of it and then on top of that there's there's that scene at the end this kind of tragic scene where um they're rounding up all the the german soldiers to you know execute them and so uh, he sees that Jojo's there wearing a German soldier's jacket. He takes the jacket off of him, pushes him away, and starts calling him, you know, you know, being anti-Semitic towards him, portraying him as a Jewish kid, just to, just to save his life so that he's not executed. Like, he has a good nature to him, which is just, again, a weird juxtaposition to what you see, especially with characters like that. And especially, too, of Sam character Sam Rockwell, has played over the last couple of years. Like I think I think about like three three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. And I know that was an issue people had with with, with the movie. Um but I, I, I think I think the movie like acknowledges that for his character it's just too late to be, you know, to for him to live past that point. You know? Yeah. For for it's him he knows that too. Like for he can't live with the stuff that he that he's done and all that and Joe he's trying to make sure that JoJo is like doesn't go down that path, obviously you know so, um, but Sam Rockwell is also just very funny in the movie. He's as, he's as well. very funny in the movie. <laughs> I love his redesign for the for his Nazi uniform with like the big feather <laughs> and the sparkles. Like clearly he's just loving it and he has eyeliner like like eyeshadow on. Like but again, he, that's also like another another slight jab at like with fascism like sort of like the ex- like the, the sort of certain excesses that sometimes like they have for like the military or like military uniforms and how much they value that sort of thing you know i think about in the great dictator where uh there's a running gag of hinkle removing herring's like badges and he's just like yeah. he's taking off things he takes off like a button and it's just like wow how does a guy come across that many badges and medals how does that happen he he must have been really good at what he was doing he he must have he must have known somebody but that's a whole other story that's a whole um, other story now we ha- we we've sort of briefly mentioned her but we haven't fully delved into talking about <sighs> her. uh scarlett johansson Listen, listen, and she was nominated for this too. So you already know she was amazing, or at least you know she got the she got the recognition she deserved for this particular role. Scarlett Johansson is is officially um, a, a a a very much amazing member of the of the ever growing gr- great group of women who've played amazing mothers in cinema. She is amazing. In this, her character is amazing, Rosie. Um, she's great in the movie. She has probably some of the most memorable moments. Her chemistry with JoJo is outstanding, and she has one of the saddest endings <laughs> ever. Oh my gosh! Oh, but before that we get to devastating. before we get to that part, we just got to talk about just how great of a mother she is. Because even though she feels differently about the way the world's been. And even though, like, she um, is a single mother and, you know, she's going through all the stuff she's going through, she's still there for JoJo. And she, she like, even when, like, you know, <laughs> that, that unfortunately but very funny scene where JoJo blows himself up and, you know, he's got a bunch of scars on his face now. Um, at, even at that point, like, there, you know, he's he's become very insecure about the way he looks 
and he's like people he's like people are gonna call me a freak they're gonna say you know they're gonna say i'm stupid and he's like and and then she's says something along the lines of you should be grateful most people aren't lucky enough to look stupid you know like like i I for one am cursed to be very attractive just like all these great lines and like you know she she messes around with her kid like there's that scene where she ties his shoelaces like because she's always having to like try to tie his shoe because he doesn't know how to and like she ties him together and he falls over and he calls him she calls him (laughs) she calls him shitler at one point which was really funny (laughs) one of the best scenes and i know you'll agree with me on this is like is like the one of the dinner scenes oh my god yes where, where, where like He's talking about his dad. He's like, oh, you, she's like, oh, you want your father? And she you know, puts like the, you know, the fireplace the, ash, the yeah. fireplace, like so, whatever over her face, make a beard. And she, you know, it's like, listen, you got to protect your Rosie. You got to protect, protect my Rosie, you know, and, and like she's trying to, she's going through a lot right now. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like that's it. It's it, an, it hits. It's, so, an, oh. it's very moving. It's very moving. And not to, in you know. You can delete this out if you want, but I, I am curious, like, as someone who has grown up with a single parent, how you related to that as well. That I related to that very hard because mm-hmm. you know you're you're liter- literally obviously everybody's situation is different, but yeah. when one person has to take on both roles, has to basically take on everything, it's very stressful. And yeah. as a kid, sometimes you might like you might not fully get that, mm-hmm. you know. Like, you know, it's hard, but like some days you're just like, why, you know, and it's just, I definitely, um, I definitely connected to that aspect of it and just like, maybe think of my mom and just like, you know, shout out to to Patty, by the way, shout out to Patty, but like to a different extent, like all this shit that she had to go through. And also too, there's a lot of foreshadowing stuff with her character. Mm -hmm. We'll get to the really sad one. I want to bring up the the happier one where she says, you know, we're, we're, we're like, I think it was a JoJo or somebody says like, oh, dan- dancing is for people who don't have jobs or something. And she's like, dancing is for people who are free. And that you you get that at the end of the movie. The war's over and they're free. El- Elsa and JoJo are free. And what do they do? They dance. They- they're, they're dancing. They're dancing. Like they-, they set that up a few times too. So there's that. There's the scene when, um you know, when he asks uh, Elsa what what's the first thing she's going to do when she... Mm. When she, you know, is free, she said she wants to dance. There's the, in that amazing dinner scene, they dance at the end of it. As again, it's just like this this moment of like levity and joy that just you know evolves into just these you know just gyrating in the most like exciting ways. You know, just you're just having right. a good time. Um, like that's probably the biggest thing too about this movie, just in general. For just to say for a second, just like for a movie about. A, a boy Nazi. It's a very sweet movie, and a lot of it is because of very much Scarlett Johansson and her, and just how great of a mom character she is. Which I feel like was such an intentional build-up with the little things that they do. Because at the very end of her character's arc, because again, she's very much anti-Nazism, clearly, or else the plot wouldn't have kicked off when Jojo found Elsa. She's, um, the husband, as we know, has been secretly doing things as well. Um, we don't know any, we don't know where he is, what he's, but we know that he is secretly fighting against the Nazi party as well. Um, 
and you know she periodically seem we see her like taking these like uh these signs and putting them around town that say i believe she, jojo says they say free germany or something something along those lines and um periodically we get these shots uh from uh scarlett johansson's shoes she's she wears these very distinctive shoes in the movie and so um once we see the shoes uh especially because she's constantly tying jojo's shoes and so shoes sort of plays a thing obviously um at one point jojo's walking around chasing a butterfly having some sense of hope and happiness for a quick second until he looks up um and sees in the square of people that you know have people that were hung because of you know going against the nazi party he sees very familiar pair of shoes and it's one of the most heartbreaking scenes i think i've ever seen in any movie cuz like you know it's going to happen but like the way it comes up it, it catches you off guard a little bit just cuz like you hear like the cheerful like little music is like nice doo, 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 or whatever the music is i don't know i'm just humming something and then <laughs> as you see the shoes you're like oh god it and then, oh. it strikes you so hard cuz again She's such a loving person in the movie. She's such a wonderful person in the movie. Um, stuck in this horrible situation where but but doing what she knows is right. Um, and while at the same time protecting her son, um, protecting this stranger um in their house, and you know, sadly she pays she she pays a, a hefty toll for it by you know, paying with her life. And and it's just the fact that Jojo finds her that way. And it's it's so... It's like, I'm, like I'm welling up a little bit just thinking about it because it's so fucking heartbreaking. Pardon my... Pardon, I'm sorry, but... It is, it is heartbreaking, um, which is going to be weird because I'm translate transition to, like, when, when he first finds Elsa, it, like, some of the... The way it's played out feels like a Jordan Peele movie like <laughs> it's, it's such a horror movie too oh my god this movie has so many emotions <laughs> it, it, it runs the roller coaster I, I just i just think about like the little like the creepy bones where she's like dude like when she's walking yeah. with her in a hand like walking she's with like, the hand yes like, ah! <laughs> or like the scene when she like pins him up against the door and he's like looking for his knife and then she just slowly rises it she's like looking for this you're like ah <laughs> Oh my gosh! I, one of my and there's also some nice little bits of humor with that too, where she, where he's at interviewing her for her for his book, and he's mm-hmm. like, well, "What are like Jew, like Jew, like Jewish people like you know allergic to or whatever?" I don't know if he even says that, but he's, she's like, "Oh, but they're allergic to like like biscuits and like she just starts <laughs> listing things that she wants to eat." <laughs> or oh my god, I love I love the scene when um when he's like trying to be like, "Okay, tell me tell me uh where Jews live." Like where 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 do they live? And then then she like starts drawing something for him, and it's just a stupid picture of him. It's like this is just me. And he's like, yeah, that's where we live in your head. <laughs> <laughs> and like oh. it's like the in one of the more like adorable aspects. Like clearly, he starts having a, like a crush on her, and so like periodically he'll start because like he finds out that she was engaged to someone named Nathan. And so he'll write love yeah. letters to her that are clearly written by a child. And it's like, 
oh, I found a letter for you, Elsa. It's it's from Nathan. It's like, dear Elsa, I don't want to get married anymore. <laughs> I also like I also like too that like Elsa obviously she's like in a trapped situation, but she also doesn't totally play off as like a victim. Like I think about the scene mm-hmm. where she's she has has like him in a lock and she's like we descended from angels and we defeated giants. Of course, relating to like David and Goliath kind of stuff. And you're just right. and you're just like she's a very strong. Very strong presence. Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie does an excellent job. Um, with Makes me excited character. for Last Night in Soho, which he's in, by the way. Makes because where's that trailer, Edgar Wright? Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah I'm not going to hear the end of it until the trailer comes out, and even then, it's going to be Joey. Did you see the trailer? <laughs> Listen, everyone else will be worried about their Snyderverse nonsense. I don't give a shit about that. I'm I am ready for that Last Night in Soho trailer. I got. That beautiful Suicide Squad trailer, James Gunn Suicide Squad trailer. I was very, 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 very pleased with it. Now I just need my last night Soho trailer. <laughs> now to, Side to, note. To, to, <laughs> to, to circle back on the on, on both of these films in perspective, obviously we talked about Chaplin maybe not making the film if he had, had more information regarding what was going on in Germany with the Jewish people. Um, and I think about this movie too, and we talk about how it tiptoes like a fine line, um, in regards to this stuff and the stuff that like, there's a lot of stuff that is very funny. Like when they do the Heil Hitler, like they, they, uh, they Heil like 85 zillion times and just like, oh, this is so ridiculous. They they say it's, it's that, it's that thing where if you say a word enough, then it just becomes ridiculous. And so they they implement that so wonderfully by literally having, like, every time you see someone, you say, and they just, or even the whole opening scene when, like, um, you know, uh, imaginary Hitler's like, why don't you hile me, man? Come on, hile me. And so <laughs> then they just, they just literally say, hail Hitler, like, eight times more and, like, just repeatedly scream it until it just sounds, right. like, gibberish. Which just makes like, it so funny and ridiculous. It's like almost a perfect encapsulation of like the sort of what the, it, it's just sort of like a great metaphor for like the entire like style, like the satire of everything. And also too, like going off of that, like there's a lot of funny moments like that, but also appropriately, the serious moments in this are very serious. Like mm-hmm. regarding Scarlett Johansson's, um, you know, her character, we find out when she dies. Or, you know, when Steve, we're talking about when Stephen Merchant is like, they're, they're investigating what's going on in that house. And it's a very tense scene. And it's, it's, a, it's appropriately, um, appropriately like, I'm on the edge of my seat a little bit, you know. So I think Taika, I think mostly succeeds in like understanding, okay, what things can be funny versus just things that just, just can't. Like they, they, there's just no way they can be funny. Like you know, because she Elsa talks about you know her parents at the train, the the concentration camps. Like none of that stuff is funny. It's also yeah. like kind of think about like the producers where the producers they make fun of all of like the flourishes of of fascism and all that. They don't mm-hmm. make fun of they don't make fun of the tragedy of the Holocaust. They make fun no. of how ridiculous yeah, 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 yeah. how ridiculous just from the onset looking at these men in these uniforms goose-stepping and hiling everybody and all that. And even just even just the fact that they follow this, like, pitiful, like, minuscule little man 
who clearly had some like you know uh inferiority complex and and gained power over time and like i think people tend to forget too that um it, because especially because in movies how often nazis and hitler rightfully so are portrayed as monsters and so they forget that this was like a real person like this guy was his guy charmed his way into you know german into like german society and took over and it was a massive thing and unfortunately as we said earlier his influence s- still exists today which is a scary thought and a very sad tragic thought and so i th- i, re- I ahead, remember a co- i remember just a couple of years ago cuz people talk about like pulling certain books off shelves and taking certain books out of publication and whatnot. A couple of years ago, at my local Barnes Noble, they had a copy of Mein Kampf, which is Hitler's book. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm. like that, like that. That's also one of those things. I, I don't know if th- it's still in circulation. I know there's definitely other problematic texts that are out there, but that seems like that seems the, a little, you know, like like it just seems a bit odd that that's a that's in print. <laughs> it's still being like. It's like, mm. I imagine there's yeah. some sort of historical context, like if you want to know about him, but do you really Again, want to? You like, could, I... <laughs> you should go to like a library, like research thing. Like maybe they have it in their like, their resource. Yeah, don't go, something. don't go to don't... the source. Don't go to the guy. Don't don't buy don't buy the book. You know, don't buy the book. Honestly, it's you know I mean, whatever. I mean, again, going back to what Taika Waititi said when he was, you know, getting into the role of playing imaginary Hitler, he, he again, it was a joke, but it was, it was very true. He was like, you know, I was going to do research, but I thought, this guy doesn't deserve proper representation. <laughs> Though, I was thinking about, like, like some of the scenes, because there's a lot of scenes where Taika, as imaginary Hitler, is pretty funny. But there's other scenes where it looks like he's doing, like, a frame-by-frame, like, impersonation of some of Hitler's speeches like his way his gestures are and how aggressively he's speaking so mm-hmm. though in the in those moments it ceases to be funny and you're like oh boy this is th- this child needs help because his role models are um Nazi uh not imaginary Hitler his, his his dad is he thought was a Nazi is <laughs> elsewhere and he doesn't know where the hell he is and, <laughs> And then his other role model is Sam Rockwell playing white guy who was involved in the problematic organization, but is semi redeemed at the end. <laughs> it's no, you're you're absolutely right because there's especially there's that one scene. I, I I literally thought, do you think like I think I asked you, is this like an actual speech that they took from from like one of Hitler's many speeches that he's done, and um, you know. Taika used it as like in like one of the more like scary moments with him in it and I also think about like the whole opening sequence and how like you know they play like Beatles music in in German bind you um but they play it to like what because like when you think of like old Beatles footage of like the fans screaming for the Beatles they juxtapose the Beatles music to fans of Hitler like screaming and cheering for him like with that and of course like clips of uh, of triumph of the will that prop- infam- infamous propaganda movie about the nazis 
And it's just it's 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 a reminder that people loved this guy. It's it's weird like it's weird for us to think about that people liked Hitler or people even still sadly like him, but they did. And it's yeah scary as shit. <laughs> it's it's very it's very scary. And I, I think with with both of these films, you know, it's definitely you have semi you have different approaches to tackling tackling hitler in comedy and tackling the nazis in comedy and mm-hmm. and understanding you know, it, and understanding where to navigate this sort of minefield especially with this genre because comedy especially is one of those things that you know they it ages fast and it you know can can easily be distasteful depending on how, how you approach it. Um, but I think both Chaplin, Taika Waititi, Mel Brooks, uh, when he did the producers, we, we might as well just talk about the producers at some point on the show, like down the line. But um, just to talk about it, it, Mel Brooks. It's funny. But... <laughs> it, it's funny. You brought this up to me before. We're talking about these movies that feel like Mel Brooks movies before we're talking about an actual Mel Brooks movie <laughs> yeah. on the show. <laughs> Well, because that's it's so hard not to think of him, especially in this because he's, um, ha, you know, he's had a lot of movies where like he's made fun of Hitler and whatnot, but most especially, uh, the producers, and uh, oh, I think you know what I also realized too is another great what? movie to watch, which made me think of Mel Brooks because he did a remake of it, if I'm not mistaken. To be or not to be is another great okay. movie. Um, anti great anti Nazi movie. Um, nineteen forty two, uh, Jack Benny, Carol Lombard, really funny movie, but also has some great like heartfelt moments. Great movie, and I think in, in some ways I I think I sort of prefer it over Great Dictator. I think it's mm-hmm. able to better navigate. It has better pacing. I think it's better able to navigate some of that uh, some of that other stuff. But sorry to interrupt mm-hmm. you. It's a great movie. no 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 I to briefly mention it. No, I think it's I think it's worth it. Um. Because again, those those people, I think specifically, and that movie, uh, just do a do a good job of knowing, how, again, where to go and and how to approach it and what exactly they want to say about this whole thing, and and I think a big thing, especially with Jojo Rabbit, is that you know, peace, not love, <laughs> or no, peace, not hate. You know, <laughs> I mean, peace, not love doesn't make any sense. Um, uh, but no, because like that's sort of like the big thing with with fascism is that you know you're excluding and you're hating and you're you're doing all this stuff. Whereas with you know and the with with these movies, they basically look at how sort of ridiculous that is, and especially coming from you know the Nazis and and coming from Hitler specifically, and these ideas that just seem stupid, ultimately. <laughs> Uh, but also, again, knowing that what they're talking about was a very tragic uh, time and time in many people's lives, and it's something that is still very much felt uh, to this day by so many people who've had ancestors or relatives or people even still alive now who went through that at that time. Like I still, like I still remember when I went to the Holocaust Museum in D.C. and just how how in- like if you ever if you're in dc at any point i it's it's really hard 
but it's very important. I highly recommend going to the Holocaust Museum because it's very informative. It gives you all the information. It, it lets you know everything. Like one of the most tragic things was seeing like all the these drawings that little kids made from, you know, just, you know, trying to understand what they were going through and seeing these like really just it's it's intense but it's again it's very much worth going if you've never been it's you really have to do it um but like i also think on that note too i think of what's that movie called life is beautiful yeah and how another big one and how they just like completely missed the mark i've never seen it but is that is that is that it's a weird movie because it was also it was also a big like Oscar movie was as it well yeah it was huge and it's still a fair I think it's a fairly like people talk about it who have seen it like yeah there's some people who really really love it mm. and Roberto Roberto Benigni even won best actor that year and I think that was even in a year where like Tom like there were so many other great and uh, not to discredit Roberto Benigni but it was like it's such a weird it's a weird movie that I feel like if it was released today it would not, I don't think it would go over as well um, right. today just cause, cause the main thing is like there, there's like almost a comedic thing going on in, in, in like a concentration camp. And I get, I, I can understand what the they were trying to tell, but I just don't think that was the right environment to tell that story in. Right. You know, it just, um, listen, like there's, like, I think it, one thing we, yeah. I was gonna say, isn't there even a scene in the great dictator where, he he gets sent to a concentration camp like the the jewish barber character yes but he, they um, don't even they don't even like show any of that when he's there that but i they they, they briefly do but it, it feels more like it just like a traditional like prison yeah than than anything else because again it, it was before that before the general public at least knew yeah the full extent of everything but i i want to leave this episode off with this um wise words from from young yorkie and this applies to all day, every day. It's not a good day to be a Nazi. It is not a good day to be a Nazi. Poor, and you know what? Shout out to Yorkie in general. He was a great friend yep. to JoJo. He he had a paper suit on <laughs> at one point. Paper like paper. I'm sorry. Like. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was a paper like suit that he had to wear. Because uh, he was enlisted again, a ten-year-old a kid in this movie was enlisted, so he could fight at the very end, and he lives thankfully. And, he shoots uh, the rocket. He shoots <laughs> a rocket at one point. <laughs> He's like JoJo, and then just boom. But anyway, shout out anyway, to Yorkie, folks, man. Yeah, Yorkie, folks. Um, what are some of your favorite like satirical movies? Are these movies some of your favorites? What's your favorite Mel Brooks movie, even though he wasn't the featured filmmaker today? Uh, Charlie <laughs> Chaplin movies. Again, it's a basically Mel Brooks episode without Mel Brooks ever. <laughs> you might have to uh, say this Charlie is a triple Ch- feature, almost. Just kind of a semi-triple feature, but uh, 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 Chaplin movies. Are, are there Chaplin movies you're fond of that you want to recommend to Richard? Please let him know. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have Letterboxd. Anyway, that's all we got today. Check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone.
Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout out to John and Kenny Armstrong. You both are great. Thank you for the music that you make. And of course, a hint for next week's double feature. We are literally talking about our two least favorite movies and our favorite franchises. Well, my not my least favorite, but definitely one of them. And Joey's definite least favorite. But either way, that's what we're doing next week. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Happy birthday, Chaplin!